Well, good morning, and uh, thanks for letting me come and crash your party this morning. As Tom said, my name is Tim. So glad to be here, and, and I'm here for, for a few reasons, and glad this year I'm here under a little bit of pressure. Um, last year, my wife was nine months pregnant while I was preaching, <coughs> sitting kind of right there about four rows back, and so Kevin Harlan had my manuscript and was ready to jump up and, uh, and finish if we had to, so he was praying for no baby. Um, during the whole sermon, while I was debating the ethics of how wrong it would be to just pretend like my wife was going into labor and just sit in the back and watch Kevin sweat as he finished my sermon. Um, but I didn't do that. Um, but I'm glad to be here. And I'm really here for a couple of reasons. One is, is if you live um, in Shawnee, in that area, I'd love to meet you. Say, hey, no pressure, no expectation. Just love to greet you. Or also, if you have friends or people you know who are looking for a church home in that area, I've actually had a lot of those contacts. And I would love to just say hi to you. Um, greet you, meet you, um, um, do whatever, and, and get to know um, anyone who might be interested in joining um, that, that, that campus, this, this new thing we're, um, we're jumping off um, into, which we're, we're excited about. So that's, uh, that's why I'm here this morning, and um, I'm also here to, to just to say thank you. Um, that one of the metaphors we use pretty often as a staff is that of a flywheel, and your first few pushes on the flywheel, it doesn't move very much. You know, it takes, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes lots of pushing, and, you know, as the person now launching out into Christ Community's fifth campus, um, I feel the momentum of all the pushing that some of you have been doing here in Leewood for, for years and years. And, and I feel that. I feel the momentum that, that's pushed, um, that we have people who are, are joining Shawnee who visited here at one point um, at Leewood, but, but it's too far to drive and, and keep this their campus or keep this their church, but they're coming because they visited here and loved it so much. At some point, there are people um, in leadership in Shawnee who, who were in the student ministry here um, at Leewood. We have people who attended this, this campus before they went to Olathe and are now moving on to Shawnee. Um, so thank you. You guys are the ones who, who held their babies, who taught them in student ministry. Um, your pushing on that flywheel has been huge. Your financial generosity in pushing on that enables us to plant new churches and grow and expand and, and take the gospel all over um, Kansas City. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that you're pushing everything you do here, it affects all of Kansas City. And that's one of the unique, cool things about us um, as a church. All right, now that I've buttered you up a little bit, and you're thinking, I like this guy. Tell me more about myself. Um, let's talk about God's Word, okay? So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump into to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you have spoken. And so God, I, it's, it's funny to me that I'm supposed to come and do justice to who you are, your greatness, your glory, your son Jesus, and everything he's done for us. So I pray you would just take my best efforts, which aren't much, and you'd multiply them in all of our hearts to move us, encourage us into Christ-likeness. For his glory, I pray. Amen. Well, sunrises are boring. I know they're supposed to be interesting and awe-inspiring and inspirational and beautiful, but they're really just boring. They take a long time. You have to wait a long time. Right? It's sort of like watching paint dry, only at the beginning you can't even see the paint. But I remember the first time someone told me to go and see a sunrise. I had just crossed the, the state line from California into Oregon and was with two of my friends. And, and I don't know if you know this, but, but Oregon has some very strange laws. And one of those laws is in Oregon you're you're not allowed to pump your own gas. That's right, a gas station attendant has to pump your own gas in Oregon. And so I get there, it's the middle of the night, I'm trying to, to pump the gas, I'm getting a little freaked out that there's no gas that we're going to run out, and, and all of a sudden this guy yells out at me, hey, you can't do that. 
which at 2 a.m. in the middle of Oregon, in the middle of nowhere, catches you off guard a little bit. But the guy comes, he's really nice, he begins to talk, and, and when he finds out I'm not from Oregon, he encourages me, hey, you need, you need to go to Crater Lake. Are you going to go to Crater Lake? And we didn't have plans, and he said, you need to go. If you leave now, you'll be able to catch the sunrise over the lake. It'll be beautiful. And I remember being in elementary school and seeing a picture of Crater Lake. And Crater Lake, it was a volcano that had collapsed and become a lake, which sounds like something you need to see, right? So we go, and we get there at 3.30 in the morning, and we're excited, right? And we know out in that darkness, what we can't see in this moment is one of the most beautiful sights that we'll ever look at, a lake that was once a volcano. So we wait with anticipation. And for about 11 minutes... It was a brilliant idea. <laughs> and then we realized, we're tired. It's cold. This is going to take hours. My two friends, they gave up. They got in their sleeping bags and went to sleep. And, and so there, there I am, alone, in the dark, just waiting. And that story, that experience, is why I get Zechariah in the song that he wrote that we just heard Tom read why he uses the sunrise as his central metaphor. That when he thought of faith, when he thought of trusting God, the place he went was the sunrise. Because he knew if you, if you followed God, it probably means at some point you're going to wait. And you're probably going to be waiting a while. But that's why he goes to the sunrise as the metaphor. And the, the experience that he speaks of here, I think we have as well. That Zechariah had been waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to reveal himself, waiting for God to come. And he's still, he's still waiting. Some of you can relate, right? You're waiting. You're frustrated. You're hoping God will show up. And it's dark. It's wearing you out. You're discouraged. You pray, but you're not sure that that anyone hears. You hope, but you fear it might be in vain. And Christmas, a season designed specifically for you and that feeling, only makes it worse. Because right? everyone's so happy and joy-filled during this time. If that's you, Zechariah wrote this song for you. And if that's not you, it will be at some point. Or someone you know, someone you'll spend time with this week at work or at home. It's their, that's how they are, where they are right now. And they need this song. We need this song. About God coming to visit. About waiting for him. And finally he shows up and light breaks through. But Zachariah wants us as Christians to see, to know that, that we Christians, we know night always ends. Because the sun will rise. Right? And as the sun rises, it means we, we can see clearly. We can fear rightly. And we can wait patiently. That kind of sounds like a sermon, doesn't it? So let's look at the song under those headings. We, we can see clearly. We fear rightly. We wait patiently. Well, if you, were, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Kenny Cluett preached. And he told the story of how Zechariah learned he was going to have a child. And the story is interesting. An angel actually comes to Zechariah and says, you're, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a son. And that son is going to be uh, the one who prepares the way for God to come and visit. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And if you remember the story, Zechariah, 
doesn't believe the angel. He doubts. And so the angel says, that's fine. You doubt. I'm gonna, you're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the, the child is born. And I remember reading that story as a kid thinking, you know, if an angel came and told me something, I think I'd be convinced. Right? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe there'd be some doubt there. What, what is Zachariah's problem? I think a little bit down the road in life now, I, I understand, I think, why Zachariah doubted in that moment. See, him and his wife, Elizabeth, had probably been praying for a child for years, wrestling with infertility, probably prayed for a child long past the day when it was even physically possible. And here comes an angel to say, just wait a little longer. And I've prayed for people like that, waiting for a child, and they never got pregnant. And so I understand why Zechariah maybe in this moment just says, I can't, I can't believe. And he's not right for that. That's why the angel says, listen, you, you should believe. And that's why I think Zechariah is given this gift of silence for nine months to not speak so he can begin to see clearly that we never are to give up on God. Never. It's never too late with him. There's never a moment for us to doubt that he can say or do anything. And so he's given this nine months of silence. And now his faith is re restored. His doubt is replaced. He's joy-filled. He's filled with praise. And the first words he lets out after these nine months is this song that we just heard read. This song praising God. A song that shows us, like Zechariah, coming from a place of doubt and darkness and wondering to a place of faith and confidence and hope. This song shows us how we get on the same trajectory. How we can be people who even though we wait in darkness and hoping, we can be filled with faith. But Zechariah begins in a place that you and I probably wouldn't start. If you hear his, his song where he begins... Begins by saying, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited, redeemed his people. And verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Now, in the Bible, whenever God visits his people, it generally means two things are, are going to happen. One, right, the part we like, it means grace and redemption, and God's going to step in and save his people. But it also generally means that God's going to visit his enemies, he's going to judge those who oppose him. And that's why Zechariah begins this song by praising God for his deliverance from the enemies of God, from those who, who oppose God. And for Zechariah, those, those people are clear. He knows who he has in mind. It's Rome. It's Herod the Great. Right? In that day, Zechariah lived in the, the land God had promised to his people. And yet Rome and Herod, these unjust, oppressive forces were the ones ruling over God's promised land. And Zechariah is wondering why. God, why, why would they be the rulers over your land? Because Herod the Great was, was anything but great. The Herod murdered anyone in his family he thought might just be a rival to his throne. When he wanted to get rid of his, one of his wives, he, he set up a sham trial to have her executed. He murdered three of his own sons because he was afraid they might take his throne. See, Zechariah has a clear picture of what this world really is. It's, it's people like Herod in control. And, and, and we're left, right, to ask, where is God? Why does Herod have this position? 
And yet, like I said, most of us probably wouldn't start there, right? Because for whatever reason, in God's grace, he's, he's placed us in, in a place where we're, we're incredibly blessed, right? With freedom and material wealth, where we don't have the same questions, the same longings that Zechariah had to get rid of an oppressive ruler. And so we can often miss, right, the, this feeling that we, we need to be rescued. All of us. Zechariah feels it because of his political position. And we might miss that. And yet, I say all that, and if we dug below the surface of most of our lives, we, I bet everyone in this room has had that feeling or has that feeling. We're just waiting for God to step in, to save us. But that maybe it's your marriage, and you feel like the only way it's going to survive is if God comes in and saves you. That maybe it's, it's depression you just fill with sadness and a cloud of despair, and you're just waiting for God to come and be your joy. Or maybe it's your school, right? And you have a, a difficult teacher or a difficult fellow student, and it's just hard to go and be there, and you're just waiting for God to step in. Or maybe you're facing disease or death itself, and you're longing for God to come and heal and make right. If you live long enough in this world, you will feel this sense of a longing for God to come and rescue you. That we need rescued. And Zechariah feels that. He's calling for that. He's asking for that. And now he's announcing that with God's visitation, that's going to happen. Right? But sometimes coming to church, you can just make that feeling, that feeling of darkness, of despair, can just make it worse, right? Because you look around and you think, everyone else seems to be just fine. They all look like they're doing well, and I'm not. What's my problem? And yet as a pastor, we, we know the stories, right, of the, the struggles, the hardships, the difficulties in all of your lives, that we come as a people longing for rescue. Even when we look like we have it together, even when we look like we don't have any problems, we are a church, a people who need rescue, who need God to step in. And if that's where you're at, if you feel that, Christmas was designed for, for us, for you, to speak both of, of the reality of the dark world, right? Zechariah doesn't, doesn't sing about, uh, about easy stuff. He sings about the need to be saved from, from oppressive rulers. This is a dark place, and yet it's not hopeless. The light is coming. It has come. It will come. Because we Christians, we know night will end. Because the sun always rises. And as the sun rises, as we look at Jesus, that becomes more and more clear to us. We're able to see more clearly. As Zechariah wants us to see, right, that God is coming, and he's coming in power. And he uses an image that to us we probably don't connect with as well. It, it, in verse 69, he says that, that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Right? And we don't use the image of, of a horn very much, but in that day it was a symbol of might and power. And what Zechariah was saying, what he was singing, is that God is coming and he's coming to save his people in power and in strength and in might. And there's nothing that can stop him. Nothing. He is coming. And far more can be mended than any of us know. That night will end because the sun always rises. And in this world, it can be easy as we sit and we wait in darkness to think darkness is all there is, that that will have the final word. But the sunrise, the story of Christmas, helps us to see clearer. Darkness is not 
the last word. The light that's breaking through, that has the last word. And so, as the sun rises, we, we, we can begin to see more clearly. But secondly, we, we begin to fear rightly. Zechariah moves from giving us this, this powerful portrait of God to, to what his son was going to do and be, John the Baptist. Right? He, he lays out the message of what John the Baptist is going to say. And it's, it's, it's a good message. It's, it's encouraging that verse 77, John the Baptist, he's going to give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. That sounds good. Salvation, forgiveness, tender mercy. Right, that stuff, put it on a Christmas card. That'll sell. And yet, those of us who've read ahead to John the Baptist preaching know there's a little bit of a disconnect, at least to me. Here, um, here's some samples of John the Baptist preaching, which I don't know sound like tender mercy to me. His first words in Luke's gospel are, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That doesn't sound like tender mercy to me. I don't know that I'd put that on a Christmas card. Right? So why? And and the reason, why would Zechariah prophesy about his son with one message and John come with something seemingly totally different? I think one thing we have to, to remember in asking that question is what John the Baptist's role was. Right, and Zechariah tells us in, in verse 76, he says, And you, child, you'll be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. But John the Baptist's role, it was to prepare us to meet God. To prepare us to meet God. Now, now maybe you're, you're not a Christian, and you hear John the Baptist preaching, and you think, you know, that's, that's the reason I'm not a Christian. Because there's stuff like that in the Bible, like really hard, abrasive, just offensive message, right? I can't go with that. I, I understand that. But, but let's ask the question, why does John the Baptist's message prepare us to meet God? How does this abrasive, kind of offensive message prepare our hearts for the Messiah to come in? Well, let me answer that question with a story. Now, while I was attending seminary, I worked at, at Starbucks, <clears throat> And, and I loved my job for the most part. There was one part that was, that was frustrating. That was there, there was just a group of, of customers that would walk in with the assumption that, that they were God and I was their minion, which was really annoying. And so there's one guy one day comes in and he's ordering, uh, ordering his drink. And he comes up to the, the register. I'm making drinks. We have someone totally new at the register taking his drink. He comes in and he just orders, I want a tall cappuccino, pink and blue. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And neither did she. And so we asked him to repeat. What, okay, what was that? And he, so he just repeated himself. Tall, I want a tall cappuccino, pink and blue. So obviously he was going to be of no help to us whatsoever. So I'm, I'm thinking through, what is he, what's pink, what's blue? And, and at that point, some people order 1% um, drinks at Starbucks. And so I thought maybe it's half non-fat, which has a pink cap, and half 2%, which has a blue cap. You combine those together, pink and blue. Maybe that's so I, I look at the guy... And I say, tall cappuccino, pink, and I pointed the nonfat milk, and blue, and he pointed the 2% milk, and he just stared at me, and he said, tall cappuccino, pink, and blue. 
And I'm like, well, all right, pal, that's what you're getting. That's what I'm making, okay? So I start making it. I know I'm not making, I know there's no way I'm making the right drink. I hand it off to him, and as I hand it off to him, he looks at me, and he goes, pink and blue? And I was like, pink and blue. <laughs> all right, that's cool. So I, hand it, I know it's not right, and I know he's going to bring it back and complain. Sure enough, a few minutes p- pass by, he, he, he comes back really loudly, really sarcastically for everyone in the store to hear. He comes back, sets his drink on the counter and says, hey, I have a gift for you. I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm about to have a gift for you too. <laughs> and he, he puts his drink on the table and he goes, tall cappuccino, pink, and he holds up a sweet and low, and blue, and he holds up an equal. And I'm thinking, that would have been great the third time I asked you what the drink was. Right, and I know at this point there's some of you who are like, I knew, I knew it was a sweet and low and equal all along. And Jesus has a gold star for you in heaven. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it after the sermon, okay? Because I don't know what it was in that moment. I was, just, I was in a kind mood. Maybe I was overly well caffeinated in that moment or Jesus just took over my body. But I was just like, you know, I'm sorry. It's just next time let us know it's sweet and low and unequal. We just didn't know what, you're, what you meant. And for the fifth time, the guy just said, that's what I said, tall cappuccino, pink, and blue. And at this point, I'm thinking, you know, you think you have total power over me, but you have vastly overestimated your position. <laughs> I, in effect, have complete power over you. I can ruin your day by giving you decaf. <laughs> right? Right? And at this point, those of you, you've worked in the service industry, you're thinking, amen, brother, you preach that decaf. You give it to him. <laughs> right? And the rest of you, you're like, are you even a Christian? What kind of person would do that? <laughs> give decaffeinated coffee. That, and that is a really terrible thing to do. Don't ever do that to anyone. That's horrible. But, but I remember, that was my reaction. I'm like, decaf, that's, that, you are getting that. And, and I remember I'm going to do it, and this question just pops into my mind. Why? Why do I feel good about that? Why does that fill my heart with joy? <laughs> and no joke, I was preaching this same text two days after that, that moment. And maybe I had a terrible sermon. God needed to give me a better illustration. I don't know what it was, but I, I remember asking that question, why? And just coming to the realization, I, I have the same disease in my heart that guy has in his. I just, I want to be in power over others. It's not my life for you. It's your life for me. Just tell me what you want. I don't want to serve you. And we all have that disease, don't we? We all use power to our own ends. We all say your life to enhance mine. Me first. We all cut to get ahead. That we all have that disease in our hearts. And that is why John the Baptist comes preaching the way he does. Because if that's really what my heart is, I am not ready to meet with God. That will be the most fearful, terrible encounter this heart, this person could imagine. But not because of God. Because of me. Because of what's in my heart. Because God is love, but he is self-giving, selfless, self-emptying love. A love that says, come and join my life, but it can't be about you. It's about others. And if that's who God is, then that is the most threatening presence to a heart like mine, which finds joy in using decaf for revenge. 
And it's the same problem for you. And that's why John the Baptist doesn't come and say, hey, everybody, good news, God's coming. He comes and says, no, you have to repent. You have to live differently. That what we see in John the Baptist is in, in, in Zechariah's song as well, is you and I, we don't just need rescue from our enemies. We need rescue from ourselves, from our own hearts. And so let's revisit the question. Why does John the Baptist come preaching this way? Why do we need that message to prepare our hearts to meet with God? And I would say we need to do two things in response. We need, we need to fear ourselves, fear yourself, and we need to fear God. And we, we need to fear ourselves, right? We have a saying in our culture, right? Just, just trust your heart. Let me encourage you never to trust your heart. Your, your heart is the sort of heart that likes giving decaf as a revenge, okay? And, and maybe that's not yours. Maybe yours is the anger you feel when someone cuts you off in traffic right? or the frustration you feel when you get behind Coupon King in the grocery store line, right? All of us, there are these moments when we just say, I don't want to wait. It's about me, me first, get out of my way. We all have that in our hearts, every one of us. And it's petty, it's ridiculous, and that's why none of us should trust our hearts, right? That none of us should look at those feelings and see those as feelings worth following. That our hearts, we're in it for ourselves. We're too selfish. That's why we need John the Baptist's message to turn, to walk away, to repent. So we need to fear ourselves, but also we need to fear God. And this doesn't mean that we're, we need to be afraid of God, right? That's a part of the point Zechariah actually makes in his song, he says that, that because the Messiah is coming, we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, verse 74, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. All right, this, this is a dark world in which there is a lot, of, a lot to fear, right? A lot we could be afraid of, but, but one of those things is not to be, to be afraid of God. Fearing God means something totally different. It means to come to him empty-handed, Asking to be filled. It means to come and be in awe that you could, you could serve and love a God like this, even with what's in your heart, what's in my heart. Right? That even though I'm the person who wants to give decaf or get angry at the person who cuts me off, God still comes for me. He still comes to rescue me and make me whole. And if you're not a Christian, this is, this is a reason to be one. Because everyone uses power for themselves, right? Every one of us does, except for Jesus. He's the one who didn't. The one who defeats his enemies by dying for them. The one who gives his life away for those who hate him. Because that's his story, right? He comes, he offers grace and truth and love, and he's crucified for it. It's a story of Jesus coming, and we weren't ready. And yet he came anyway. He came anyway. That's the story of Christmas, the good news at Christmas. And so at your work this week, when your coworker, your boss, or your employee, when they frustrate you, don't trust your heart. When you're at home with your kids or your spouse and you get frustrated, don't trust your heart. No, trust Jesus, the one who forgives the one who brought tender mercy. The one who brought salvation. And go after him.
Live your life after him. And that's what it means to fear God, right? As the sun rises, we, it means we could see clearly. We see this world as it truly is. It means we fear rightly. We fear God. We fear ourselves. But lastly, it means we can wait patiently. And one thing I like about this song is that Zechariah ends with the beginning. Right? He lays out all of the good news of the sunrise, the defeat of enemies, the good news of what God's coming to do. But then he goes back to the darkness, back to the end in verse 78 where he says, that whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Right, that God is coming to give us life. And that you and I, why we live in the darkness, that's where we sit waiting, filled with enemies, filled with trouble. And Zechariah, he calls us to do two things in the midst of our waiting. To remember and to look east. Now that we're called to remember. That's Zechariah's name. Actually, God remembers. And that's what he does through this, this whole story. Is he, he keeps pointing people back to moments in, in the past where God's people were, were called to remember. And so one of the moments he goes to is, is Abraham. right? And, and what, who is Abraham? He's, he's just a guy in the field. And God shows up to Abraham and says, Hey, one day I'm going to make you into a, an entire nation. Even though right now in this moment you're infertile and can't have kids, I'm going to turn you into an entire nation. And there's a day coming when you'll go and you'll live in a land I'm going to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And even though Abraham was a childless man, there was a day when the sun rose and God's people lived in that promised land. And Zechariah also points to the Exodus, right? The story of when God's people lived in complete oppression under the most powerful country and powerful king in the world, crying out for salvation. And God showed up. And there was a morning when the sun rose. And even though they were helpless and oppressed and had no power, God had saved them. And they woke up one morning to the sun rising in complete freedom where they were able to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all their days. Now we're called to remember, right? That's why we're a people of the book, to remember the stories of this book. That throughout the Bible, God is, is working in his people and revealing himself and keeping his promises, that's the story of the Bible. That's why we need to be people of this book. And I would just encourage you, if, if you're not a regular Bible reader, we do open here. That's a great place to jump in, to read those stories, to know those stories of God's faithfulness. But we don't just remember, we're also called to look east. That when my friends went to sleep, I, I stayed up, waiting alone. And the only thing, the only reason I stayed awake. It's because for 22 years of my life, I was 22 at that point, the sun rose every morning. And I knew if I could just wait, it would rise again. It would rise again. So I waited. And it took a long time. I was cold. I was tired. I was ready to give up. But I kept looking east. And that picture... That moment continues to be a moment that brings beauty into my heart, fills me with hope, because I know before I've seen God take a dark expanse and turn it into something so beautiful and gorgeous, and he'll do it again. And whatever darkness I face in this life from this day forward, or whatever darkness you face, God will turn that darkness and light it and turn it into something you could never imagine. 
but you have to wait. That's the hard part. The good, thing, the good news is that we, we know what God does with darkness, right? I mean, that's what happened when Jesus was crucified. It says that the darkness covered the land, but the darkness did not in Christ. And three days later, he broke out of his grave the light of the world, overcoming the darkness. And that's why I think John the Baptist, excuse me, John the Baptist, at the end of his life, he started his gospel with this image of light. Now, he lived a long time. He was the only disciple, the only apostle who wasn't killed for his faith. So he saw all the other disciples die. He himself was taken out of his church community and put in exile in prison on an island. He saw everything dark this world had to offer. And yet, he ends or begins his gospel, begins this reflection on Jesus' life, looking east at all he had done. Right? And he begins with the words we heard earlier. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men and women. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. God, that's our hope. That the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And so I pray, whatever our darkness is in our heart this morning, we could wait. And wait patiently. In faith and in trusting. Knowing the sun keeps rising. Knowing that night will end. Because of Jesus. The light of the world. Our hope, our trust, our love. God, none of us have the strength for that. We need your spirit to come into our hearts, to fill us with that light. And I trust you would do it now for your glory, glory of your son, Jesus. Amen.